Greetings to all of you this evening. It's a blessing to be gathered together again on a Saturday evening. It's good to see a number of young people here. And you know, I would have, if there'd only been one of you here, we would have still had the same service, but it's, if we're gonna speak to young people, it's nice to have some here. So I appreciate you coming. I know you had options for tonight. You did not have to come here, uh, unless your mom and dad said you had to, but uh, you could have done other things, and I realize that, and I want to respect that. I like young people. I was young one time, and sometimes I like to think I'm still young, but uh, some things tell me otherwise. But I'll tell you the truth, I still like to play softball, believe it or not. You might wonder how that looks, but I do. Um, and I like young people because they have lots of energy, and I think it is so beautiful to have young people in your church. They bring zeal and energy and enthusiasm and new ideas. And sometimes we need to hear what those new ideas sound like. And I just appreciate having them part of the congregation. I don't see as many children tonight as we normally have had. I wasn't sure how I would start this, but I think I might do something just to draw the children that are here into the message tonight. It's a message that I think you'll understand. Do we have any children here tonight that are, oh, let's say seven years old? Raise your hand if you are seven years old. Anybody seven? Nobody seven. Okay, how about six? Anybody six years old? Raise your hand. Wow, okay. How about eight years old? Oh, two girls and a boy over here. Okay, let's see. Uh, well, just all three of you come up here. All you eight-year-olds, come up here, all right? Okay, so tonight we're gonna talk a little bit about counting. Can you all count? Okay, just stay standing. Okay, you can all count. Okay, so young lady, what's your name? Jenica. Jenica, okay. So what I'd like for you to do is to Turn around, and if you've got to walk back, whatever, I want you to count all the benches on one side. Can you do that? And what's your name? Kelita. Okay. Can you count how many lights? See, like one square light? How many square lights there are in this auditorium? Can you do that? And what's your name? What's it? Okay. Can you count how many windows are in this part of the building? Okay. So you guys go do your counting, all right? You do your counting, all right? You got yours already? Okay, all right, good. You got yours? You got yours? Okay, so how many benches are on this side? Ten. ten. So if there's ten on this side, how many would that be? Ten and ten. How many? Twenty. Twenty benches here. That's wonderful. Okay, you counted the lights, right? How many lights are there? 28 lights. Whoa, we got more lights than we got benches. Okay. And how many windows do we got? Nine. Nine? Okay. So we got 20 benches, 28 lights, nine windows, right? Thank you very much. Now you can go sit down, all right? So there's some kind of sign out here by the road that says, I think there's a sign out here that says Peak Mennonite Church, or something like that. Okay. So maybe you should put something else out here by your sign, maybe a flashing neon light sign that says 
Come worship here at Peak. We got 20 benches. Cushion benches. All right? Because that young lady counted them. We know that. And maybe on that sign, you should also have another flashing light that says, Come, it's bright light. We have 28 lights in our auditorium. And we talk about the light of God. And the sign could also say something about the windows. You ought to come. We've got beautiful windows in this church. Nine windows. That young man counted them. I want to think tonight about counting. The title of the message tonight is Counted for Jesus Christ. I invite you to the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Okay, so it's youth night. So there's soda pop in my water. <laughs> Is that what happens on youth night? <laughs> I had a little warning. Brother Jay said, oh, that water's bubbling. <laughs> <laughs> so whoever did it, it's good fun. But I thought I might as well just test it out right away. It's true. Okay, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Then the kings, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, he fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast in the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbuck, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. All right, so we got a king here by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, and he built himself a, a big old golden image, and if you take the measurements, I think it says cubits, but if we go by feet, like nine feet wide, 90 feet high. Now, I don't know how tall a big old silo is. Is that about what a good silo is, Nathan? That's a big silo. So children, if you can imagine a silo, 90 feet high, nine foot wide, which would not be as wide as a silo, but gold. Imagine that, made of gold. Now, why would a king want to build something like that? I, I don't know for sure, but it seems to me he must have had an ego problem or something. It seems to me that he was more interested in the people um, honoring him or doing what he said because he was in control and you're going to do what I say than maybe actually worshiping this thing. But he built this big image and he gathered everybody in what they call the Plain of Dura, some big field or something. He built this thing. He got all those important people there, and then he said, you know what? When you hear the music, you kneel down and you worship this golden image, and you better do it, because if you don't do it, you're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. 
All right, so let's go to verse 8. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And so the music played. By the way, you know, it was an ungodly king, and it was an ungodly idol, and it was probably ungodly music, I would guess. And it had played, and... Lo and behold, there were three men that did not bow the knee. They didn't bow. And here come these men running to the king and said, King, you're not going to believe it, but these three men, these Jewish men that have, have position here in your kingdom, guess what? They didn't do what you said. And so the king was angry. Verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he went on to explain to these men, You know what? You didn't do like I told you to do, but he didn't really give him a chance to respond. He just went right on and said, I'm going to give you another chance. See, I think he kind of liked him. I think he did like him. He didn't really want to throw him in the furnace. He said, I'm going to give you another chance. And this time, when the music starts, get down on your knees like I told you to do. And they said, King, forget it. <laughs> don't even give us another chance. We don't need a chance. Our God that we serve, he will deliver. And if he doesn't deliver... We're okay with that too. Oh, we will not bow the knee. Well, as when I read this story, I think about a storybook that we have at home that we read to our grandchildren now of this account. And I get this picture in my mind because that's what in this book. And so I put it on the blackboard. And I know my artistic ability is really sketchy. But let's say this blackboard is the Planadura. And this is the 90-foot idol, all right? And you know what these are? The music had played, and the people bowed over and worshipped the idol. All right? So all these people bowing over, worshipping the idol. In fact, in our storybook, the donkeys have even bowed down. But in the middle of all this, you can go down, yeah. While all of this was going on, we have three men. Oh, I'm sorry, you can't even hurt. I hope you can see that. That's really poor. It blends right in. But we got three men that did not bow. They stood straight as could be, stuck out like sore thumbs. One, two, three of them. We're talking about counting tonight, being counted for Jesus Christ. Everybody else, even the donkeys bowing down. Well, I don't know that. That's just in the storybook. But friends, tonight, listen to me. There is a place to stand, to be counted for Jesus Christ. The Bible calls that place in the New Testament calls the straight and narrow way. My friends, that's where you stand. You stand on that line because that's, that's the line that leads us to glory, to eternity. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three men, Old Testament men, but friends, tonight they knew where to stand to be counted for God. 
They knew where to stand to be counted for something that really matters, friends. Now we can count. Our children showed us tonight how well we can count. They've been trained to count. They can count the benches and the lights and the windows. And us adults can count. By the way, I'm glad you older people are here tonight in support of the younger part of your congregation. But we can all count. You know, we know how to count our farming business. We know how many farms we farm. We know how many acres we farm. We can count all this stuff. We can count how many bushels of soybeans and corn we get off the crops. We know how to count how many houses we build. We know how to count the points on a buck. We even know how to score a buck. We can count this stuff. We can count our money. We can count our shoes, ladies, and our sweaters. I mean, it may take a while, but we can count them, right? We can count this stuff. Friends, life can get really interesting, can get really complicated. And life can go up and down, and we got these hills and valleys, and we got things that are difficult, and we got relationships, and that maybe are a problem, and we got opportunities we miss, and maybe some things in life aren't fair, and maybe we have money problems or health problems. But friends, listen tonight, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the end of life, only one thing matters, and that, I, that is that I, that you, are counted for Jesus Christ. That's it. Life is that simple. Now, if you would, I'd like for you to go with me to the New Testament, to Acts chapter 24. Here in the New Testament, so here in the Old Testament, we saw three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that were counted for God. We're going to go to the New Testament and look at two men that didn't make the count. In Acts 24, verse 22, the end of the chapter. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way, for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Now Paul was a prisoner here, and he comes before Felix, the Roman governor. And he had opportunity to give the gospel through words to this governor, and he talked to him about the resurrection of both the dead and the just and the unjust. And then he got another opportunity, and he's sitting there before this governor, Felix, and he talked to him about righteousness and temperance and judgment, and which meant that he has a personal responsibility. And it says that this man heard, and he was convicted. The Spirit of God took that word to his heart and convicted him to the point he trembled. He was shaking. He was so convicted. And he said this. He said, you know what, Paul, when it suits me better, I'll call for you. And we'll talk about it. Now let's go over to chapter 26, verse 24. And as he thus spake for himself, this would be Paul, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. 
But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now we have Paul before Festus, and not only does he have another governor, but he's got King Agrippa before him. And if I, I didn't take time to read the verses prior to that, but Paul was able to give them his life testimony, how he was persecuting the church, and Jesus came in the bright light and struck him down, and he turned his life around, he repented, and he was following Jesus, and he was preaching Jesus. And he gave him his personal life testimony. And this testimony was so convicting that the king said, almost, almost, Paul, this close, I'm almost ready to become a Christian. Brothers and sisters, tonight, it doesn't matter how much or how little you have at the end of the day. It doesn't matter if you're a governor or a farmer. It doesn't matter how busy you are. It doesn't matter how, who you know. At the end of the day, at the end of life, the only thing that matters is that you're counted for Jesus Christ. There's a song that I like, and it's an old song. And it's got a line in it that goes something like this. There's a line that's been drawn through the ages. And on that line stands an old rugged cross. And I like that word picture of that song. It talks about this line, a line that goes from earth to glory, from earth to the golden gates. Maybe not golden gates, golden streets, pearly gates of heaven. And on that line stands the cross. And friends, tonight, it's on that line that we stand to be counted for Jesus Christ. It's that line that divides the righteous from the unrighteous. It's on that line that the soldiers of the cross stand and they fight their battle, their spiritual battle. It's a line of commitment. It's a line of holiness. It's a line that says, I'm not part of this world, but I'm looking for a city that is built of God. But Felix said, I'll call for you later, Paul. Not today. Sometime. I'm going to do it, Paul. I'll do it. You know I will, but not today. Now, did Felix ever get converted? Converted? Count it for Jesus Christ? No, not that I know of. The Bible doesn't indicate that at all. He also said, I'll become a Christian when it's a more convenient time. Did he ever find the convenient time? He did not find the convenient time, friends. And for those, if there's anyone here tonight, if there's one person here tonight that is not on that line and you're just waiting because you want to have fun or because you want to do something else and it's not convenient time now, but I know I'll do it later. I know I'll do it later. You know what? The devil is really good at making so that there's never a convenient time. That's his business. King Agrippa said, I'm almost persuaded. Did that king ever make it past that almost? That close? 
No, he didn't. Not that we know of. Did that almost do him any good? No, it didn't. Friends, there's a place to stand on that line. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they found it. And on that line, it may be straight, it may be narrow, it may be inconvenient, but friends, it's a rock that we can stand on. And that's where we get counted. And as we think about that line, that place to stand to be counted tonight, and I like to imagine things in my mind, but just think about that line with God's people standing on there. It's a special place, friends, to stand to be counted. It's a place where there's holiness and righteousness and the light of the glory of God. It's a place where people are going on the right direction, the same direction. It's a encouraging place. That's where you stand to get counted. But I can also tell you tonight, friends, what it is not. You see, friends, tonight you don't get counted for Jesus if you're hanging out at the local bar tonight. You don't get counted for Jesus if you're doing drugs. You don't get counted for Jesus if you're involved in pornography. You don't get counted for Jesus if you got unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. You don't get counted for Jesus if you're lukewarm or you're living for yourself. The Bible says that this place where you get counted for Jesus is a, is a narrow way. And you don't have to turn there because you know it by heart, but I'll just turn there because I want to read it correctly. Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You see, friends, tonight, the Broadway, this here, this, that doesn't count for Jesus. That's the devil's count. And the Bible said, Jesus said, there's many, many that go their way. And I don't know of all the people that will ever be born on planet Earth, how many are going to go end up in hell and how many in heaven. I don't know. But all I know is the Bible says, Jesus said, that many will never make it to heaven. Few will find the right place to stand and be counted. We know that God saw these three men standing. He counted them. God delivered them out of the fiery furnace because of their stand. I ask tonight the question, is God still counting today? Does God still today see the Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednegoes? Does he see them today? I believe there are young people here tonight that are Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednegoes. Now I want you to know that God sees you. He counts you. I'll tell you a true story. This was about five years ago, I think. Our local prison, correction center, whatever you want to call it. I went in on a Thursday night to do a chapel service. 1,300 inmates. Now the 1,300 inmates, maybe 30 show up that are Christians that care about God, want to come to a gospel service. So it's not very popular to be a Christian there. And I got in there that Thursday night, and these men that were in there were excited. And there was a buzz, and I could just tell there was an excitement in the air. Something was going on. And so they told me what had happened the previous weekend. 
The previous weekend they had what they call a Curex weekend, which is just the name of a program where people come in, and it's kind of like a kind of like a revival service, I guess you would say. And they told me what happened that previous weekend. There was a couple of men, two men came out of the building where they were having these services, and the door that came out of the building exited onto the basketball court. And so they came out of the building, out of the service, revival meeting, and they came on the basketball court. And on the basketball court were a couple of other men in the prison. They were playing basketball. And they said, these non-Christian men, the ungodly men said to the Christian men, play basketball with us. They said, no, we don't want to. Oh, come on, you guys. And they started making fun of them and taunted them and gave them a hard time. Come on, play basketball with them. And they said, no, we're not playing basketball. And they're walking across the court. And one of the guys came over and just put the ball in the guy's hand, in the Christian's hand. And the Christian was standing 20 feet away from the basket with his back to the basket. And without looking, he just took the ball and went like that. And swish. And went right through the hoop. And that non-Christian went back and he got that ball and he came back over and he put it back in that Christian's hand. He said, you do that again. And if it doesn't go in, it proves there is no God. That Christian took that ball without looking, went like that, swish, and went right through. Now you can take that for whatever you want it to mean tonight, but I say tonight, friends, God still counts today. He sees the Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednegoes that are standing for truth and want to be counted for Jesus Christ. I'm going to share with you tonight a bit about our son, Tyler. I've had quite a few people talk about that. And I always hesitate because I don't know. I don't know if I should tell the story or if I should not tell it. Because I don't want to bring any glory to our family. It is not about us at all have nothing to glory in except Jesus. And so please, I'm not bragging because he's our son. Please don't take it that way. And I also realize tonight that there are probably number of people sitting here tonight that would have a similar story to tell. And our story is not better than your story. But this is the one I know. This is the one that comes from my heart. I told you the first night that our son Youngest son, Tyler, was killed in an accident when he was 25 years old, which was almost four years ago. December the 6th will be four years ago. He was 25 years old. And I know you don't know him. You didn't know him. But I know some of you prayed for us, and we appreciate that a lot. He was a young man that was full of life. Uh, down in Belize, they had nicknamed, nicknamed him the Energy Bunny. He lived life with a passion. Whatever he did, he did it with all his heart. When he was 18 years old, he went to Belize to visit a friend that was teaching school there. And through that visit, he had never, ever anticipated teaching school. He didn't want to teach school. But they asked him to substitute one day while he was there visiting. And that led to him coming back and teaching four years of second grade school in Belize. Well, those four years in Belize changed his life. It changed his perspective on life. It changed his value system, which is a challenge to me today. He didn't care about name brand clothes. He didn't have a lot of things. He had, I don't, even, I don't know what the number was, but he had a certain number of shirts in his closet, and that was it. And if somebody gave him another shirt, he got rid of one. He just didn't want stuff. 
He was always thinking about the poor people in Belize. Well, the last two and a half years of his life, he was at home. He made many trips to Belize doing different things. His heart was there, but he was at home. On December the 6th, <clears throat> on a Wednesday, Karen and I were not at home. We were in Minnesota at a minister's meeting. Tyler was home alone. He went to work, which was construction work, worked with our son-in-law, Kendall. It's just those two that day. And December 6th, the first snow of the, of the year that amounted to anything, about two inches of wet stuff. And he came home from work and took his lunch bucket and some of his clothes in the garage, put them on the freezer, and went back out to get the snowblower to clear the driveway off before he went to church that night, on Wednesday night. We were in Minnesota, and <clears throat> we had ran to town in between services, and my phone went, and it was Tyler, and he said, I want to clear the driveway, and the tractor doesn't go forward. I had bought a Gravely tractor that summer, uh, dedicated to snowblower, just a used unit, but a nice nicest thing I've ever had, and I had serviced it. It was in the garage, ready to go. I, I had put it there just a little before. He said, well, the thing will go in reverse, but it won't go forward. A foot pedal, you push back for reverse, forward for forward. Goes back, will not go forward. He said, I've tried everything, and it will not go forward. I said, well, okay. I said, I guess you can go down and get the old walk behind that we used before down in the other shed. And it went a little bit, and he called back and said, I can't get the walk behind started. And I had just started it and put it down there. He said, it will not start. And so I gave him an idea that he could maybe try, and we didn't hear anything back. And so we were back at the Bible school, getting ready to go in the evening service. <clears throat> and Karen, during that time, had been trying to call Tyler just to see. I think it maybe I even told her, let's call Tyler and see how it all worked out. And didn't answer his phone. And she tried, and he didn't answer his phone, didn't answer his phone. And I'm not going to give you all the details, but some other things. And she started feeling something in her heart. Maybe more like moms do. I don't know. And we're about, we're getting ready for church, and my phone went. And she grabbed it, and it was our oldest son, Travis. And <clears throat> he said, and she just right away said, Travis, is everything Okay. And he said, Mom, I need to talk to Dad. She said, Travis, is everything all right? Mom, I need to talk to Dad. And she handed me the phone, and Travis said some words I'll never forget. He said, Dad, brace yourself. Tyler is gone. Somehow, he had got that old walk behind started. I don't know how. And he cleared the driveway off, and it was just a six-inch strip left, and he had turned around, coming up the driveway, and he was done. But a car came down the road and lost control and came over into our driveway and hit him. Pinned him underneath the car, shoved him over into our uh, lawn, and he was killed instantly. There's some things we find comfort in. And that is God's timing. Had that gravely started or went forward, he'd have been out of there a long time ago. We came home that next day, and after the funeral plans were made, our son-in-law, Kendall, went out in the garage, and he started up the gravely, and it went forward. It has went forward every time since. 
had that walk behind started the first time he tried to start it, he'd have been out of there. But that wasn't God's timing. The lady that was driving the car that hit him said that she had went south a few hours and came back, was a day trip, and she said, when I left this morning, I asked God to control my vehicle. Tyler, that summer, had, had a call from Belize to come back to Belize, and you don't have to teach, just come and be a personal worker and whatever it was. And I could not believe he did not accept that call. I, I was so surprised. I was happy to have him home, but I thought, sure, you'd go. And I asked him one time, why, didn't, why did you not go back? He said, oh, they didn't have enough work for me to do. But you see, he needed to be home on December the 6th. I prayed for Tyler for many years that God had given him a godly wife, but you see, he didn't need a wife. God knew that. And then my office, my study is in the basement, and Tyler's bedroom was in the basement. And a month or two prior to the accident, he stopped into my office when I was in there doing something, and he started talking. And he, he wanted to just tell me where he was at spiritually, and he wanted to talk about assurance of salvation. I thought, hmm, now that was kind of different. I never doubted his walk with the Lord one bit, but that, and then the second time, within two months, he stopped in, and it was the same conversation. He wanted to talk about assurance of salvation. His last day of work with our son-in-law, Kendall, Kendall said it was the best day of work we ever had together. He said Tyler was so happy. He was singing. Did he know it was his last day? I don't know. At the funeral, a young man came up to me. He's a young man that Tyler had served with in Belize for a couple years. And he said, I want to show you something on my phone. And he showed me his phone, and Tyler had texted him a message just making sure there was nothing standing between them two. He wanted to make sure everything was clear. So I don't know, friends, tonight, how clearly did Tyler know his time on earth would end December 6th, 2017. We don't know that. But as a family, we find, we feel so blessed. God wouldn't have had to, but he so clearly showed us that he was ready to be counted. And we are grateful for that. Friend, are you counted for Jesus Christ today? I want to give you three checkpoints. This isn't conclusive. The little ways that we can check to know if we're counted. Number one, have I been to the cross? There's a line that's been drawn through the ages, and on that line stands the old rugged cross. My friend, tonight, have you been there? That's where the counting starts. We go to the cross with our sins. Maybe there's someone here tonight that has never been saved. The way you get saved is to go to the cross because it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. The Bible says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Friends, that's a problem. We are separated from God because of sin, but that separation can be erased and we can be one with God when we go to the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We get counted at the cross because of the blood. Checkpoint number two. 
Am I living in obedience? Jesus said also in Matthew 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He that doeth the will, that's obedience, friend, that doeth the will of God. There are many, there are going to be many religious people in hell. That is unfortunate, but that's what Jesus said. He said there's going to be a lot of religious people in hell. They just never got around to obeying. Romans 2.13 says, It's not the hearers, but the doers are justified before God. James 4.17, him, him that knoweth to do good, and doeth not, to him it is sin. Everybody gets counted, but it's those that are doers that get counted for Jesus Christ. October of 2014, six years ago, this past month, New Delhi Zoo, country of India, a little boy fell somehow and slipped into a tiger pen. The surprised tiger watched and played with a crouching boy for 15 minutes. Bystanders watched, yelled, threw stones, and videoed. But no one went to his rescue. The boy was finally carried off and killed by the giant cat. If that had been your son, would you have thrown stones? Would you have yelled and screamed for 15 minutes? Would you have videoed the event? Or would you have convinced some friends to join you in saving his life? Friend, tonight, we need young people. We need young marrieds. We, got, we need middle-aged. We need old people that will do more than just watch. There are plenty of conservative Mennonite people that will video event. But where are we there? Are we the ones that will get in the tiger pen and be the doers? Doers of the word. Doers of what needs to be done. You say, well, jumping in the tiger pen is radical. It is right. It is radical. Following Jesus has always been radical. It will always be radical. Get in the tiger pen. Obedience to God is radical in the eyes of the world looking on, but friends, being a real Christian is all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Doers get counted for Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people hanging out with the church, but are we a doer? Checkpoint number three. Do I have a humble heart? You know, pride is an attribute of Satan. It comes from Satan. And sometimes pride is a big problem for us. Proverbs 6, 16, 17 says, Six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are abomination. The number one on the list is pride. A proud look, God hates pride. I believe that he hates it with all his heart as I read his scripture. Pride and arrogancy do I hate. Proverbs 8, 13. Matthew, Mark chapter 7 is a list of sins. It says, from within the heart of men comes out evil thoughts, adulteries, etc., etc., and pride. Listen right with everything else. James chapter 4, verse 6, tells us who gets counted. It says this, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. God counts those with a humble heart.
There's going to be a final count. Matthew chapter 25. Verse 31. 25, 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on the right hand, but the goats on the left. That's a final count. And Revelation also talks about it, and you don't have to turn there. You may if you want, in chapter 22. To me, it gives a vivid picture of the final count. Revelation 22, verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Verse 11, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. Friends, tonight, what the Bible says, what Jesus says is there's going to be a final count. And when that trumpet sounds, like it talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when the trumpet sounds... The count will have been made. We don't decide which side we're going to get counted on after the trumpet sounds. We decide before the trumpet sounds. And that's what he's saying here in Revelation 22, that when the trumpet sounds, the unjust are going to be unjust, just like they were before. The unholy are, are going to be unholy, but those that are righteous are going to be righteous still. How you are counted on that ordinary day will be the final count. Are you good with being counted tonight? There's a line that's been drawn through the ages. And on that line stands an old rugged cross. And in my mind, I can picture that mind and I see the cross. And I see Moses and Abraham and David and Peter and Paul. And grandma and grandpa. But what about me? And what about you? Friend, are you counted for Jesus Christ? We need to live life today. We need to live it tomorrow. But may we always live it in light of eternity. Father, we come to you tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your message to us tonight. And you know the hearts that are here tonight, Lord, we're here in a safe place, in a warm place, brothers and sisters, and you know our hearts. You know every heart here tonight. You know if we're on the line or we're not on the line. If there are those here tonight that have a spiritual need in their life, I pray. Pray, God, that they could be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I pray tonight that the saints would be encouraged, the sinners would be saved, and the complacent would be revived tonight. God, that's my prayer. It's my heart cry. I commit this little invitation time to you, to your spirit. I can't convict. It's only your spirit that can. And so we commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight, the invitation is going to be a Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego invitation.
We're going to sing one verse, only one verse, of Just As I Am by memory. We only need one verse, friends, because if God is speaking to your heart, jump to your feet. We don't need, I do not believe in begging. If you know you have a need, then just respond. We don't need to drag it out. But the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego part is we're going to sing one verse. If you are here tonight and you've never been saved and you want to be saved, you just stand your feet like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right where you're at. If you're here tonight and you don't have both feet on that line and you want to step back on the line tonight, then just stand your feet. And then when that verse is over, we'll have a prayer. And if you have stood, I would just ask you during the prayer to slip out of your bench while we're praying to the back and somebody will pray with you back there. Let's sing. Just as I am. <laughs>